0: You may be seated, and if you aren't sure how to be cleansed, because we don't have the ability to clean ourselves from our sins, and you heard that song about, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? It may sound very strange. I don't take a bath in blood. That's kind of gross. Kind of creepy, but it's not really blood, it's water in there, just straight from the spigot, and uh, that's how you're cleansed. You go to Jesus, and you say, I'm sorry, I've goofed up bad. Can you help me? And that's called repentance, and then you come to somebody. It doesn't have to be somebody big and special, it can be any believer, I guess, that Baptizes you in the name of Jesus, and then He fills you with His Holy Ghost, His Holy Spirit, so that He lives in you and with you. And it's a process for the rest of your life, becoming cleansed. And then you go play in a mud puddle, and then you have to get cleansed again—not <laughs> rebaptized, but um, repented. And and it's a process. So we're all still getting cleansed. But he's so good that he helps us with that. I'm going to, uh, I've had this message on my heart for a very long time, and it just wasn't right yet to speak on it. I say that because um, I, I've known for a few weeks that I was going to speak on this, probably even before I finished my last sermon. I knew that this would be my next sermon, if that makes any sense. But, um, I say that because it's going to seem like I'm just, you know, listening to everybody else and going off of what, they, what they've what they done, but God's orchestrating something here. He's putting something together, and uh, we use that term orchestrating all the time, but um, when you're orchestrating, it's, it's not a short process. It's putting one part together and then another part and then changing this and changing that and making sure the French horns sound right with this, whatever, trombones and the drums are right, and, you know, it takes a little bit of time, but when you put everything together, it's so much better than just a solo instrument. So God is orchestrating something, but I'm going to give you a little refresher. Last week, Meg t- talked about join God in the battle. The week before that, Leela talked about the closer you get. The week before that, I talked about trust the water. And then Stephen... The week before that talked about, it's all about the image of his son. And all four of those, and probably the ones before even, that's just as far back as I went, but at least for the last month, God has kind of been working things together with these sermons that seem detached, but they're really not. Um, so I hope today that I can fit into to those things, and we can add another piece to the puzzle of how we're supposed to do all making disciples of all, with discipleship and community and word and service and all those wonderful things we've been learning about, continuing to learn about in small group and getting our focus straight so that we can be united and reach the world. So if you could put up my uh, first scripture, Isaiah 52 Verse 7, I don't know that I've ever heard this preached before, this mess, this scripture preached from, but uh, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the news that the God of Israel reigns. Now, this is from Isaiah, you see, that's Old Testament, Hebrew Bible, Pre Jesus, in flesh, God in flesh. Um, so this is the old way of doing things, and Isaiah is is a poem. This part anyway is a poem, and this verse is this section is a is foretelling the deliverance of the people of Israel from Babylon. So um, it's telling something that's going to happen in the future. And it's about a herald or a messenger or, you know, a Paul Revere type person that um, except this person didn't have a horse. They were just running on the hills, the mountains, and telling the people that they were free from Babylon and the God of Israel reigns. There's peace, salvation. So that's the background. When Paul... In Romans 10, if you could bring up my next scripture, 10 verses 13 through 15 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that amazing that God has provided us with salvation? We call on his name like I just spoke about, asked to be cleansed. Um, He has saved us, done something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. The next verse says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? Well, duh, if you don't believe in something or know that it even exists, you can't partake of it. And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? Yeah. And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Yeah. And then the next verse says, and how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, and it pulls in the scripture from Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. So if you want to go back, I've already dwelt on it a little bit, but let's just talk about this. This is A A leads to B and B leads to C and C, you know, if you've. If you've done chemical equations, or even in uh, in first grade or early elementary, they they make the kids put things in order of getting dressed in the morning, or I don't know something they're familiar with, brushing their teeth, or you know, first you have to get the toothbrush and the toothpaste and the you know everything together. And then you put the toothpaste on the toothbrush and then you brush your teeth and then you put everything away. You can't brush your teeth until you've gotten the toothbrush on the toothpaste on the toothbrush. So things have to go in order and one thing leads to the other. So we're used to that. But if we want this idea of, okay, we want people to call on the name of the Lord and be saved, but how, how can they call on him unless they believe? Okay, how, how can they believe if they haven't heard? How can they hear if nobody tells them? So it's just an obvious sequence. And then he, he wraps it up with kind of a, an evidence. See, this is true because we have this ancient, even at that point it was ancient scripture, that says how beautiful are the feet of messengers, heralds, Paul Revere, you know, we don't have this today because we have uh, cell phones and news. We have a 24-hour news cycle. We're following blow by blow the war in Ukraine, or we're following you know, election night. We get the news right that night. Back then, it was weeks, months even, before news came, good or bad. So um, we have to have this series of things that happens but somebody has to bring the good news or people can't believe and people can't call on the name of the Lord we have to bring the good news so if you noticed you probably did I don't have any shoes on today that's I do have them on today but they're right down there I took them off on the last course because we're talking about feet I don't think I've ever heard a sermon about feet but here we go Feet are very, very important. We don't think about them much, right? When I got dressed this morning, when we moved, I insisted we have a full-length mirror. And my husband was like, why do you need a full-length mirror? I said, I have to see all of me. But when I look in that full-length mirror, I do want to see if my shoes match, you know, and make sure they're the same on both feet, you know, they match. Um... But I really don't think about my feet much when I'm getting dressed in the morning. I think about whether my socks will be hidden by my boots, and, you know, sometimes they don't match, and who cares because they're covered up or that kind of thing. But feet are very, very important. If you are diabetic, you know that feet are important. My uh, primary care doctor, I'm not diabetic, thank the Lord, hopefully that'll stick, But um, my primary care doctor has a sign on the wall that says, if you are diabetic, please take off your socks and shoes. Um, If you're going in for a hangnail or, I don't know, have a stomach ache, whatever, they want to see your feet if you're diabetic because diabetics often have real trouble with their feet, and it can lead to amputations, infections, sepsis, you know bad things people used to get gangrene uh, nasty things that we don't want to deal with because our feet are important um, when I was in nursing school we had to do a few days at a homeless shelter and that was a uh, not living there visiting there and um, that would have been an experience for sure but um, but one of the things that homeless people really, struggle with is their feet a lot of times they don't have clean socks and they'll get dirty they don't have a place to wash them or maybe they don't have a backup pair to wear while they wash them in a sink or whatever um socks are are our problem you need clean socks or you will again get feet infections and, and bad thing when we think about George Washington's soldiers at Valley Forge what do we think about we think about bloody footprints in the snow Um, And how are soldiers, now they weren't marching in the winter, but how are soldiers supposed to do their job if they don't even have shoes? And they, you know, it's just obvious. It doesn't even need explanation. Bloody footprints in the snow brings all this understanding. Feet are important. And feet aren't very pretty. I don't think I've ever seen a pair of, a set of feet and gone, wow, you got great feet. That would be that would be weird anyway, but I don't I haven't even thought it, much less said it. Um, I do have a I do know a lady who is a foot model, <laughs> and <laughs> and I've honestly, I hope she's not watching. But honestly, I've looked at her feet and gone, okay, that's no, I don't get it. I mean, her her toes are kind of funny shaped, and I don't know because feet aren't beautiful, right? So if you'd put up my title slide, I forgot to have you do that. Um, this is a monster. This is not a person. But your ugly feet are beautiful. My feet are not beautiful. I have—I went to a podiatrist because I was having foot pain, and they made this whole list of things that were wrong with my feet. This toe's too long, and the arches high, and you know I had plantar fasciitis, and I had Achilles tendinitis, and I had. Things I didn't even know were wrong with my feet. My feet are ugly. I have very long fingers, and that comes in handy when I'm playing the piano or the violin. But I have—my husband calls them piano toes. I could play the piano with my toes. They're—they're they're not pretty. I had this lump on the side. Um, so I don't know of anybody that has great feet. I uh, thought about having you all well, take off your shoes as an illustration. But the other side of feet is that they stink. So, I didn't want you to all be distracted by it. Ugh, Sister Susie has, Susan's not here, is she? Oh, she is here, not Sister Susie. Sister, uh, Sister Beatrice has ugly feet. We don't have a Sister Beatrice. So, uh, when we've traveled, we have gone to places where it's very warm, and some of them are very poor. Um, the rural parts of Mexico the rural parts of Cuba, um, the not rural parts, but the the large city, and then some of the rural parts of Africa, West Africa, and because it's so warm and they don't have great health care, um, you can see all their feet. They wear sandals, flip flops, and um, sometimes they're they walk dusty roads. They get scratched, they get calluses. Sometimes they go barefoot, which is not a great idea, but they do it. Um, so you see that these pastors in these foreign lands that are bearing the gospel to the remotest parts of the earth, their feet aren't very beautiful, but they are. They are they're gorgeous feet because <laughs> they're going to carry the gospel. They're gonna, They don't need great feet. They just need feet that will get them there. And so today we're going to talk about what that kind of means and just some experiences i've had because i was raised in the church i've gone to youth camps i've gone to conventions i've gone to lots of sermons about reaching the lost okay reaching the lost and a lot of times there was a lot of pressure with that we have to save the world well we can't save the world we did we didn't die on the cross to save the world um Our job is to be a witness, and my husband's talked about a witness in a courtroom doesn't set the schedule, they don't set the agenda, they simply come in and answer questions when someone asks them. Um, And this scripture we have talks about how beautiful feet are, and I can tell you back in that day, those messengers Probably wore flip flops or something similar and didn't have beautiful feet, but they were beautiful. Even their feet were beautiful because they were bringing this message of salvation and peace. So, as we have as our vision statement, all making disciples of all that can come with some pressure. I mean, all is pretty big, right? We've talked about what we mean by all, but all is all. We're not done until all 7 billion, how many ever people, uh, are made disciples, right? That's what it means. And we all are responsible. So, how do we do that? How do we carry the message, the news of peace and salvation? Do we have to be perfect? Do we have to say everything right is it our job to save the world if we don't do what we're supposed to do you know if if we reach five people but we were supposed to reach 20 have we failed what is success what is success Steve and I have talked about that okay so as a as a pastor what is success is it having? three people receive the Holy Ghost in a year? Is it having 25 people? Is it having disciples made? Is it having 42 11 people receive the Holy, you know, whatever? What is it even? What is our responsibility and how do we do it? So are we supposed to have street rallies? Are we supposed to hand out flyers at work? Are we supposed to um, get a bullhorn and stand in a parking lot at you know, the supermarket, how do we do this? How do we do this? Because we're supposed to be doing it, all making disciples of all. So I started to do some research, and there's not, I mean, there are scriptures about being the light of the world. There are scriptures about being wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Jesus sends out his disciples to bear witness of him. Paul obviously talks about how he did it, but there's not a lot of direction in the Bible about getting bullhorn and going to the, uh, you know, the Areopagus or wherever they went, the the marketplace, the whatever their version of the supermarket was. There's no instruction to do that, but there are some instructions about how to do this. First thing, and this is obvious, but it's it seems too easy, is we have to love God. We have to fall in love with Jesus. And that's, well, of course, that's, how's that helping anybody? First of all, we have to find God. We have to love him. We have to grow in him. And That's the root of of it. If we don't have that, we can get all the bullhorns in the world, and we're not going to do any good because we don't even have the message ourselves. We have to fall in love with Jesus. We have to accept his love, and we have to, as I said in the the cleansing spiel, we have to continue in his love. I haven't arrived. You haven't arrived, but we have to continue. So, we have to love God. We have to accept his love for us. And again, it's not perfection. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be perfect. We can, our feet can have corns and warts and toes that are too long or toes that are too short. Or One of my kids has toes that are kind of webbed, and I call him a duck sometimes, you know. Just, it. it's doesn't matter. We don't have to be perfect. We have to love God, and we have to accept his love, and that's the root. Second point is we have to then, out of that, and it will come naturally. It's not a put-on thing. We have to love others. The fruit of the Spirit, these things that are the Spirit, will come out of our lives. If we are in love with Jesus, we will Again, not imperfection, but we will have God's love, his spirit producing these things in our life. And again, I think most of you were here for the fruit of the spirit lessons we did in small group where we talked about that there's a very convincing theory that it's the fruit of the spirit is love. And then the rest of them are exhibitions of that love. Joy, out of that love comes joy and peace and All these things. Also, when you have that love, and I'll talk about this fruit in a little bit, but that love of God will get people's attention. Uh, In John, Jesus says, "'So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples.'" He didn't say, get a bullhorn and and preach a big, long message that has, you know, great speech. He said, love each other. Love each other. And so our love of God will make us act different. It'll make us act strange. And it's not the way the rest of the people are living. The fruit of the Spirit is strange. In a world that's feeding us, that's feeding the, we in church speak call it the flesh, but the humanity or the human nature in us. Um, the Galatians 5 talks about the, the works of the flesh. And when you feed that, it leads to things like, and tell me if this is our world today, lustful pleasures, hostility, quarreling. Look at our political system, y'all quarreling. Jealousy. Oh, there it is too. Outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, wild parties, and that's just part of the list. Um, That's what our world is today. Um, People talk about America being a Christian nation, and you can probably debate that it never was a Christian nation. I mean, look at slavery, but, um, and, and all kinds of evils and sin, you know, Native Americans and all kinds of—it never was a Christian nation, but it was it had the appearance of people who were nominally Christian. Well, today we don't have that. Most of the people you speak to on your jobs are either devout nothings, or um, you know, they—I used to—I was raised fill in the blank. Um, maybe they know something about it, but a lot of times they, have, if they were raised such and such, they have made a decision to not do that anymore. So the, the world is going off of this system of lustful pleasures, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfish ambition. That's a big one. So if you are living in opposition to that and you are living with things like joy, there's a big one. And that doesn't mean you're happy all the time. That means in spite of trials and troubles and tribulation, you have joy. That's a big one. We don't need to be walking around like we were baptized in pickle juice. We need to have joy in our lives so that people can see that. We need to have a peaceful answer and a patience, a kindness, a goodness, a faithfulness, a gentleness, a self-control. That is the fruit of the Spirit. And if you are living like that, you will be like a city on a hill that can't be hid because you're going to look different. You're going to be the light of the world, and you won't need a megaphone. Now, if your ministry is to get a megaphone and God has told you to go stand in the supermarket and preach, then you follow the leading of the Lord, okay? But I'm, I'm. God's never told me to do that. And I've had a lot of guilt, honestly, because my personality is introverted. And I don't like to go up to people and strike up conversations in random places. Sister Becky is awesome. We used to go with her on quiz trips, and she would make us late every time because we'd stop in McDonald's to use the bathroom, and she would strike up a conversation with somebody in line and witness to them. And we, come on, we're trying to get to this tournament. Stop witnessing, you know? I don't have that gift. Becky's awesome. I don't have it. So what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to fall in love with Jesus, and I'm supposed to let the fruit of the Spirit produce in my life. I'm supposed to, in a world full of selfish ambition, I'm supposed to have self-control and peace and patience. In a world full of lustful pleasures, I'm supposed to have goodness and gentleness. Um, in, a, in a world that can't stick to their word and they're scam artists, you know, every ad is trying to sell you something and they're probably lying about what it does. I'm supposed to have faithfulness and be what I say I am. And that will be a light That will be a salt to the world. That will get people's attention. How many of you have had somebody give you some variation of a question like, why do you, whatever, or what kind of religion is that? Or How many of you had somebody ask you a question about your beliefs? It didn't have to be. Raise your hand if you've had somebody ever ask you a question yeah, so it, it works, right? And you don't have to, you didn't have to uh, pass out a million flyers or take out an ad on the side of a bus or I'm not saying those things don't work. There are some examples where they have worked, but much more efficient, we see Paul in the New Testament going from city to city to city and he would set up churches probably house churches and then he would leave and how did the how did Europe and and the ancient world and the Roman Empire get evangelized Paul started it but then he left town and the word still spread and it was because the Roman Empire was full of uh, Selfish ambition, wild parties, lustful pleasures, quarreling, jealousy—that was the Roman Empire, and these people were different. Instead of uh, leaving an unwanted baby on a hill out in the out in the countryside to die, they would go gather up all the babies and raise them. What's up with that? That's not—that's not selfish. That's like love and peace and kindness, it gets people's attention. They didn't have a welfare program back then, so the Christians fed people. They took care of their widows. They took care of um, orphans, and it got people's attention, and it turned the world upside down. So, in order to be that city on a hill, and I'm coming to a close here, we fall in love with Jesus, and we have the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to get really rubber meets the road here in some application. And we are going to pray in a minute, but I, I want this to also be, we, we're going to pray, because God has to lead us in this, all right? Paul does speak of of following the leading of the Spirit. He does it himself. He wants to go someplace, and the Spirit says, don't go there. And then it says, go to Macedonia. So he, he, You have to follow the Spirit, but if you're in love with Jesus, that happens anyway. So, you have to, Matthew 10, 16, Jesus, when he was sending out his disciples, said you have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Again, that gentleness, but you do have to be smart about it. So, let's be smart about it. 1 um, Peter, Peter says, be ready to speak up and tell anyone— who asks why you're living the way you are, and always with the utmost courtesy. Let me read that again. I don't think I had had it. Oh, well, maybe I did. Uh, be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks. Be ready. Now, there's a scripture that says don't think about what you're going to say ahead of time. But that's when you're getting brought before, like, a court. Okay? Now, this is not being brought before a court. This is just your friend asks you, why you're living the way you are. And you're supposed to have a ready answer. Um, and then you're supposed to do it with the utmost courtesy, right? Gentleness, kindness. Not telling them they're going to split hell wide open. Not telling them they need to clean up the way they speak or stop doing this or start doing that. You do it with the utmost of courtesy. Remember to love. You keep it simple. Paul talks about he didn't come with lofty words and complicated, deep philosophies. And then part of being courteous is that you meet them where they are. And it's also just smart. Why is it serpents and harmless as doves? Because if somebody doesn't even believe in God and is asking you why you do X, Y, and Z, you don't need to tell them the evils of Something, you know, that doesn't even relate to them. Some relig- some church down the road, whatever. it You have to make the connection with them. But there are some things that are just basic things that you've probably been asked. Why do you go to church on a Sunday morning? Or why don't you cuss? Why um, do you give so much money to the church? I mean, really, that's what do they do to make you do that? All kinds of things, but meet them where they are. Look around you physically, and if there are people there, you should be loving. Now, it might not mean giving everybody a hug, but it might mean opening a door for them or picking up a candy wrapper off the floor or lots and lots of things that come out naturally when you're in love with Jesus. If, you're, if there are people, you're being a light. And it comes naturally. It's not hard. It's not, oh, if I don't do this, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. and Oh, it's a burden. No, it's just flowing. It just comes out in your personality, in your language, in the way you speak. And it's not hard. It's like an apple tree growing an apple. It doesn't have to try and think about it real hard. And, oh, if I don't bear this apple today... I'm going to, you know, God's going to curse me. There was a fig tree, I guess, in the Bible that he cursed, but um, that was the exception, not the rule. The apple tree doesn't have to think about it. It just happens, right? It just does, and it's natural. Think about the person, religious-wise, what you know about them culturally. What do they know? What don't they know? What do you, if you're their friend, you kind of know where they're at already. Are they an atheist? Because you're going to answer an atheist different than you answer a Baptist. Um, but there are some things that kind of apply to everybody. So have some basic answers. Be gentle with them. Do it with the utmost courtesy. We are surrounded by people who are hurt. They are the walking wounded. They have been hurt by sin. They have been hurt by Poor decisions themselves, and their and other people around them. Been, a lot of people have been hurt by religion, um, and I don't mean by God. I mean by religion. There's sometimes, unfortunately, a difference. They've been hurt by people in their family. They've been hurt by friends. We are surrounded by people that have hurt, that have been hurt, and we need to be gentle and kind. And again, that'll stand out because we're not about ourselves. We are about them. So gauge whether they where they are if they've asked you a question and they really seem interested and they like have an academic interest in the bible then maybe you say hey let's study the bible together maybe if they aren't interested in that at all then don't pull out your search for truth bible study you know it maybe you just develop a friendship with them and let your light just shine all over them and they'll see it and glorify god Maybe you invite them to a small group, but maybe you don't. Maybe you invite them to church, but you know what? We don't see Paul inviting people to church. Now, sometimes there wasn't a church yet, but even when there was, he a lot of times was, you know, pulling people aside and saying, hey, do you know about about this? Or he was a tent maker. I'm sure he talked to people that came in for tents. Um, Meet people where they are. Now, we are blessed and lucky and gifted by God that we have people walk in off the street. They've seen our sign. Maybe they have a a background in Pentecostalism. Maybe they live across the street. We have a ton of people go up and down the street. So we are blessed with that. But that's not the best way to make disciples of all. The best way, the most effective way is to connect with people. Now, when somebody comes in off the street, we should be loving on them too, right? And if they ask a question, you answer them with kindness, courteousness, the same thing. Because if there's not a lot of pressure on us, we don't feel a need to get everybody cleaned up right away, right? So be kind to them, share your light with them, and love, love, love. Love God and love people. Now, um, I'm going to ask you to stay seated, and we're going to pray in our pew. And as you're praying, um, don't put it up yet, but they're going to put up some scriptures. Not some scriptures, some questions. And this sounds very practical. This sounds very unspiritual. But I want you to copy down these questions on your phone or take a picture of it. Or something like that. And even as you're sitting here, start thinking about some answers to some questions that somebody might ask you. And I've come up with just a few. You can come up with more based on your circle of friends, your family, whoever it is that you tend to be around a lot. So you can put those up now, those, the questions. Um, make it. Maybe you send yourself an email with this attached, or maybe you put it in your to-do list, or whatever. Um, but here are some questions. You Feel free to take a picture of it. Um, number one, what makes you different? If, some, if a friend asks you, what makes you different? You just act different. What makes you different? Or, why don't you, X, Y, Z, cuss, drink alcohol, why don't you... Now, some of these might have a little different answer, but a lot of them are going to have a specific theme, okay? Because I, and just tell them the truth. Why don't you? It's not hard, but sometimes you you don't want to get caught flat on your feet, and it's biblical. I was raised, whatever, so I don't know anything about the Pentecostal religion. What is it? I had this one uh, on vacation. We Steve met. A, we're in a, a, uh, like a small apartment thing, kind of an Airbnb type thing, and the person downstairs met Steve, and they were arranging parking places because we need to load up, and so he arranged with this doctor from New Jersey to switch places, and uh, then they invited us to their place for fondue that night. Well, sure, we're good for fondue, so we go there, and um, it wasn't an environment I would have created in my home, Okay. But it was okay, we asked for a bottle of water, we had some fondue, it was all good, and I'm sitting there talking to the doctor's wife, and she says, I was raised Catholic. She was asking me what my job was, and I said I was on the pastoral team. And and so, what kind of church is that Pentecostal? Well, I was raised Catholic, so I don't know anything about the Pentecostal religion. What is it? Well, do I give her the whole laundry list? Do I pull out my Search for Truth Bible? No, no. So I just told her a little bit, you know, we try to follow the Spirit. I didn't tell her all about one God and how the Catholics had messed it all up. And no, I didn't need to do all that. I just said, we try to follow the Spirit. And you know what? She asked me a very intelligent question. She said, Do you really follow, like, really follow the Bible? And I said, do you study the Bible? And she said, yeah. I said, yeah, we really do. She asked me a question that I could have told her. She said, well, you know, in the Catholic church, we did this and this. And I didn't really go read the Bible on my own. That wasn't how we did it, you know? So she helped me along. But um, so think about some different different things you could answer that you're going to be comfortable with. And then the last one, did you always believe like this? Or maybe you can volunteer that even if they don't. You know, they ask one of the other questions and you say, I didn't always believe like this. And then why do you now? There's a lot of other questions you could ask. So maybe you do that later on this week. But as we pray, Caleb's going to come. And um, I want you to pray. But I also want you to pray over these questions. And maybe you start thinking of some things that you can say to people. Be wise as serpents. Harmless as doves, and you don't have to be perfect. I've got toes that are too long, and one of them makes a callus because it's too long and it rubs. You don't have to have the right answer. You just have to have your answer. And do it in courteousness, and do it in love, and based out of a root, a foundation of loving God, and then loving people. So let's not stand. Let's, uh, if you want to pray, loud, soft, raise your hands, whatever. But I want to just take a few minutes and think about this list. And um, then we're going to go this week and the next week and the next week, and we're going to continue to develop our root system. We're going to try to get that. We're going to fertilize it so that that fruit comes out real well. And then we're going to be ready to give an answer to anybody that asks. So let's take your time and um, I'll come back up in a minute, close this out. But think for a little bit about how you would answer some of, I keep pointing to the back wall, some of these questions. All right, if you would stand. We're going to sing a song that's a nominally a kid song, but it's not really. You can get out your candlestick and blow it out. Those of you who have been Sunday school teachers know what I'm talking about. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Now, again, a candle doesn't have to try very hard. It just does its thing, and it lights. If you've ever had, it, you know, the electricity go out This before cell phones. Um, we all have flashlights on our cell phones, but a candle can make a big difference. You know, brushing your teeth at night before you go to bed and the lights are out. You can find things with a candle especially in a really dark world. So let's uh let's sing. I don't have the words, but they're simple. Mm-hmm. This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine Tchau...
1: send you home with a little testimony of my witnessing this week. You ready for it? This is going to blow your mind. This is how practical it is. By the way, a little statistic I read this week. Brother Bernard, our general superintendent, pastored a very large church that he established in Austin, Texas. He said 80 to 85 percent of the people they reached was either a family or a friend of somebody in the church. You're the key. But here's, here's mine this week. You ready? Okay. This is how spiritual it was. Uh, it really came to me when I was listening, don't let the devil blow it out, because he's going to try to squelch the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Anybody know about that? Because you feel angry instead of happy? You feel discontented instead of joy? I mean, I, I feel that. Anybody ever feel down instead of up? you know, all the things that he tries to attack us with and press in with us. So most of you know that that I purchased my parents' home as a retirement investment and it's rented. And I'm doing the same with my own home. And the only way that I can do that uh, and and stay a pastor and, and all of that, I have a property manager. So somebody runs the property, I pay them a certain amount of the money that I receive in rent. And uh, so my parents' home, my property manager informed me this week that The folks that have been in there for a couple of years aren't treating the property right. Now, the first thing that my humanity is, is I want to get mad about that. That's my property. That's investment. And furthermore, it's the home I grew up in. So, you know, you know, I I can literally in my mind's eye walk through the whole house. So immediately, because of my relationship with Jesus, this world's not my home. I'm just a passing through. Material things are to be stewarded, yes, but they're not to be worshiped. So you see the fruit of the Spirit begin to, okay. and and But I, I wanted to get aggravated, but I I stayed calm. I held on to my peace. See, these are things that all of us can do. So I held on to it. So I'm sitting there, I'm listening to it, and he says, he said to me, he says, I'm, I'm not going to renew the lease. Now, that's not my call. That's why I have the property manager. That's his call. He said, I'm going to tell him that you're, uh, you're going to sell the property. He said, just a little white lie. But I'm not selling the property. So I'm sitting there. I'm feeling it. What do I do? And out of nowhere, I think the Lord helped me, and he'll help you. I said, grimly, tell them the owner has different plans. He said, oh, that's good. He said, you're a wordsmith. I said, no, grimly. I don't like to lie. There's my witness. I didn't yell at him. I didn't preach at him. I just said, I don't like to lie. Now, here's where the Lord really helped me. I said, but I also like to be kind. Ooh, there's one of our core values, right? Honesty, but kindness put together. Meg, you challenged me in that lesson because I'm the honest dude. Well, put some kindness with that honesty. I said, tell them that I have different plans. And because those different plans are you're not going to keep abusing the house. I understand that, but I don't need to be rude to them. I don't need to be unkind. And at the same time, because this is a man, my property manager is a man who is some kind of Christian but I'm going to bear witness. He's previously gone through a divorce, and he didn't do his business very well for several months. I stuck with him. That was my witness. The reason I say this to you, folks, is I promise you, you're facing things like this every single day, and this is the light that Christ wants us to be. We can do this. Well, how is that going to translate into Holy Ghost? I don't know. Paul said some water, some plant, God will give the increase. Take the pressure off your back of being the Savior of the world. Jesus already took that job and took care of it. Love God. Let his fruit come forth in your life and then guard it. Don't let the devil pluck your fruit because he's going to try to pluck your fruit. He's going to try to distract you. He's going to try to get your attitude out of sorts. Come on now. Somebody needs to be amen in me right now because I know, I know some of you had a week from all weeks and you aren't feeling very Christian this morning. Those are the perfect opportunities to go bear witness. Let your ugly feet be beautiful this week. Can everybody say amen? Go bear witness and God will guide your steps. God will guide your steps. So I'm going to go bear witness this week. I don't know how. but I'm going to guard my fruit and I'm going to let it shine out. Amen? And God will work through you to touch someone. God will work through you to bear witness to someone. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.